Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sprucast. Uh, we've got special guests with us tonight, Will Patterson. Will will be joining us and asking, answering questions uh, that we're going to put to him throughout the remainder of the show. As always, John and Josh are with me and uh, they will be helping me uh, look into all things modelling and um, we'll get started. Um, so Will really needs no introduction to many of us that uh, follow him. Um, he's currently on YouTube and Facebook uh, with 10,764 viewers, uh, subscribers on YouTube and 10,859 on Facebook. That's quite a feat. Um, I had no idea that it was even that many. I don't ever even look. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. I had interestingly, I had a look at your. Uh, there's there's a graph you can look at that shows your um, daily uptake and you know how many subscribers you get. And um, you've got uh, what must be the equivalent to the Andes Mountains. <laughs> it it uh, you got some really big peaks. Um, <laughs> You've got a whole mountain range. It's interesting to go and have a look because it tells you you've got a lot of subscribers, Will, a lot of people out there that uh, love to watch you. Um, well, I appreciate you saying that. I, the truth is I really don't look at it very often because I don't I do not do anything to monetize my channel. And I, I recognize that, I mean, in, you know, in the, in the context of YouTube, 10,000 subscribers is, is really not much. I, uh, I noticed the other day that I had – 1.2 million views since I started the channel about four years ago. And I was just kind of chuckling because one of my friends said, Oh, that's, that's a lot. You must be happy. And I'm like, yeah, you, you need 1.2 million views per video if you want to get paid. So I, I don't even, you know, it's not a big deal to me, but I do appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That was my next fact, actually. 1.2 million. views. <laughs> <laughs> You have to keep in mind that a YouTube view, so to speak, and I'm doing air quotes that the audience can't see, uh, a view can be somebody clicking it, watching it for 30 seconds, and then saying, this is ridiculous, and going someplace else. So, yeah. You, know, yeah. you can't get hung up on those numbers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people, uh, you go into the analytics of it all, and uh, you, I think the one figure that does mean something is the – um, one that tells you the average time spent right. looking at a video. I think that's the one you need to look at. Um, it's pretty but, sad in my case because as a lot of my friends are fond of, of giving me a hard time about, a lot of my videos tend to be pretty long and exhausting. Yeah. And so the average view length for me would be pretty depressing if I really cared to look at it. I don't know. I, I honestly think that you would be surprised. Yes, you're right in the fact that uh, most people that do long videos, they've got a very short um, people clicking, watching a few, like 10, 15 minutes and then leaving. Um, the difference is, I think, that on your videos, they are very thorough um, and uh, you, you learn quite a lot about everything um when, when you uh, how can i best put it when you go into uh 
uh, tools and things like that. It's not just about the tool. You then go on to, um, you delve off into other areas, you know, hardening, um, uh, tooling steels that, that are used, and, 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 and you go off on all those little tangents which <laughs> make make the whole thing that much more interesting yeah so it becomes more than just uh a video on paint for example well that's yeah. good to know I, I i know i nerd out on a lot of stuff like that it's my it's my engineering background and and i i just i've always loved tools so what can i yeah. say it's a thing it's yeah it's like when Will was doing his uh, his resin three no get that right his three D printed parts for his monkey bike yeah and so I thought that fascinated that <laughs> he, he he'd taken the monkey bike and he had his own parts printed and stuff yeah so, the three D printing thing is is a pretty is a pretty cool deal it's amazing what we can get into yeah you know technology that's that's available to us. And I actually started out in, in with a with a connection to 3D printing. Uh, goodness, it's uh, I'm dating myself, but it's been it's been uh, 25 years since I was in grad school, and my graduate project was in 3D printing. So it's a it's really amazing for me, especially that I can sit down at my desk on my Mac. And use a free CAD package that's the equivalent of stuff that I used as a working engineer 20 years ago, even better. Um, and then, you know, get it 3D printed and have it on my workbench a few days later. It's, it's science fiction. Yeah, I mean, did you ever think that printing would be that accessible? I mean, I've got a 3D printer sat not two feet away from me. Um, I never thought I'd own anything like that. Never. I think it, you know, it depends on what on what you mean by accessible, because a lot of people are fond of saying that the, you know, this is the death of injection molded kits, and pretty soon we're going to just download them and print them. And I don't see that ever being true without some sort of a technological miracle. But if you, you know, like me, like I wanted to create some parts for for a pro, for that for that uh, Tammy a monkey that I'm working on. It's totally accessible because mm -hmm. I, can, I can do things. The things that I want to do are within the capability of the tool to achieve it. Uh, so it's, it's totally accessible. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, but even, even I was saying three or four years ago that I could not envision doing the kinds of parts that I'm doing now. So who knows what's going to happen five years from now? Which printer do you have, Will? I have the best one of all. None. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, my my philosophy on that is I like to to pay somebody else for storage and obsolescence and upkeep. Um, I'm more than happy to do that. As much yeah. as I do, I still haven't spent enough to justify taking on any of those things for myself. But if I were going to get one right now, it would be the anti-cubic photon, without a doubt. Yeah, I hear a lot of good things about that. Is that it, the resin one? Do what? Is that the resin one? It is, yeah. It's a, it's an yeah. SLA 
Shane. Uh, it's but it's different in that it uses the the DLP technology. So uh, as opposed to using lasers to create each layer, uh, which is part of what makes it only like four or five hundred bucks. But it it is. It's just amazing what it can do. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm just on the uh, um, S. Uh, Josh, what is it again? That I've the, the the I've got the Creality Ender three, so it's the PLA. Is it PLA? PLA. PLA printer. I think. Oh, yeah. It, is it? Does it use resin or does it use a spool of? It of, uses a spool of filament. Okay. Yeah, that's an FDM machine. That's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It, it's confusing. I mean, there's so many abbreviations. <laughs> People tend to just call all of them 3D printing without really differentiating what, you know, what's what. But that stands for fused deposition modeling, which they came up with literally 25 years ago. Yeah. So so what some of the first things you printed out, Will? Went back back when you started. Oh, back back in the day. Well, I um my my grad school project was a well, I I have a master's degree in mechanical engineering and I was working with a guy who wanted to to build a prototype supercharger for a 250 cc motorcycle engine, <laughs> which was right up my alley because I've always been a motorcycle guy and he was a he was an engine designer that was working for a uh, a company that I was. Uh, th that my graduate professor uh, was working with as well. So we got together and we 3D printed, I designed and, and uh, we 3D printed the rotor blades for this little bitty supercharger that was literally the size of a hamburger. And uh, that was in 1995. Um, so there you go. I guess that's the very first thing I ever did. Yeah, I mean, I so you grew up on a farm, didn't you? Um, right. So this must have had a huge impact uh, on your engineering career, I would think, because on a farm there's lots of, uh, you know, mechanical bits and pieces. I think so. I mean, I just always naturally gravitated to that kind of stuff. And, and plus, on our farm anyway, you got put to work before you were out of grade school. So I was helping out with that kind of stuff when I was really young. And I just always have, you know, enjoyed that, I guess. So, yeah, it made a big difference because I had a lot more practical knowledge, I guess, or experience or whatever um, than a lot of my engineering student peers, for sure. Was, was there a specific point um, that you remember that particularly – uh, turned you towards engineering or was it just a general, uh, you know, ev everything? Uh, I don't know if I can really say, I mean, I'm like, I was like every kid, I guess, where I went through the whole, you know, role of, of stuff I want to be when I grow up. Uh, and I know I can't say honestly how I, how I was that I ended up uh, landing on engineering, but I, it was, it was a good choice for me. Yeah, it seems to it suits you down to the ground, really. Yeah, at least to start with, I ended up moving away from it as my corporate career went along. I, you know, if you're an engineer that can talk, they quickly find other things for you to do. <laughs> so, 
I got put in sales and marketing and doing other things like that. So I, I had a pretty scenic career path. Yeah. I, um, I done a, um, I had an engineering, done an engineering apprenticeship in manufacturing um, uh, for British Timkin. I don't know if you know that company. Um, they uh, do tapered roller bearings. Oh, yeah. I, and, I, I knew what a Timkin bearing was when I was 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I ended up becoming a grinding engineer. Uh, after my apprenticeship so I'd done all uh, the grinding processes um, but part of my apprenticeship was I had to go through every stage of uh, tapered roller bearing manufacture uh, mm. and learn each of them processes so in the green stage like I, I was on CNC machines for a few months learning that and so on um, and I really enjoyed it. I loved that environment. My favourite was the um, fitters, the mechanical fitters that repaired the machines. Um, I really loved that. Um, Manufacturing is just fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just to uh, tear stuff apart. I've always been that way inclined. I never forget. I have, I've always had a thing for electronics. Uh, uh, doing electronics and I'll never forget um, my mum and dad had gone out and I'd got this huge transformer and I just um, bought a, a hobby multimeter um, I was only about 12 at the time and I'd read I'd read all all two pages of the 500 page manual on electronics and I decided that I knew what I was doing and I took the top off this transformer and started prodding things. And the plug was at the top of our stairs. <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, I must have, I don't know what I hit, but there was a huge bang and a flash. And I got flung backwards down the stairs. Um, and I got it rather shaken, um, but learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I, I don't know whether that contributed to my later heart problems with the electricals, but uh, anyway. Um, so we move we move on, and uh, you know, tragedy struck. Obviously, we all know um, that uh, you were a big motocross rider, and you had a nasty accident, um, which now I'm not absolutely certain on what injury you got i've just got down partial paralysis so please forgive me if i've underplayed that um because i'm aware that i don't want to you know with these things i, I don't want to um outstep the boundaries if you like no you're you're that's that's 100 percent correct um, oh it is oh good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. That is. There's nothing wrong with that that definition at all. Um, I the specific injury that I had. Uh, basically, I, I I just got pitched off my dirt bike uh, doing something that I had done a thousand times before. It was just a. It was just kind of a freak situation, and I happened to land on my head hard enough to compress. Uh, three vertebrae in my neck 
and it uh, it blew out the discs. So Ooh. so no no fractures. Fortunately, it did not actually uh, it didn't actually create a lesion in my spinal cord because that's when you get what's called a complete injury, which means complete paralysis. What it did basically, you know, the discs in your neck are kind of like donuts, and basically just imagine the hole in the donuts closing up to where it strangles your spinal cord. And uh, so it leaves a bruise basically, and it shut me off instantly where I was paralyzed, fully paralyzed from the neck down. And the paralysis uh, has been receding for the last 10 years, Um, you know, to one degree or another, depending on which part of my body you're talking about. Uh, I have, uh, I have movement pretty much everywhere. I mean, I can get up and walk out of this room. If, if I, you know, (laughs) if you guys get too scary, I can, I can get up and walk away from this podcast, but I won't be walking anywhere very quickly. Um, Yeah. You know, so partial paralysis is, is a, is about as correct as you can get. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me. I look at uh, the work you do, um, even, even way back before, because um, I'll never forget, I remember coming across your uh, one of your feeds for the very first time. Um, and I could tell that there was something wrong, that there was an injury of some sort had happened. It, it was obvious. Um, but the work that you were putting out was far superior to um many you know you know to to what other people were building um and i was just mesmerized by the fact that you you and then i learned you know i i I learned a bit more about um what had happened and uh some people told me what had happened and and things like that and uh I, i was i was really in awe of uh you know that somebody could have that um have that sort of drive and determination to to get to that to get to the point that you've got to um and i think i bet there's many people out there that uh, probably don't even realize um looking at your work now they probably don't realize what what your injury was or is um obviously many people do but that take the time to look into it um well i appreciate that i I do i mean it means a lot i you know i don't talk about it very much uh, and it's not necessarily that i don't want to it's just that i it's just my nature to to not dwell on it um You know, I just, I just try to do what I have to do. And, uh, there's, trust me, there's, there's plenty of days where it's, it's very difficult and very frustrating. I'm fortunate. Um, I mean, anybody who watches my hands can see that they don't work properly. Um, my, all my fingers move, but, uh, like I can't do simple things like, putting on a pair of gloves. That's practically impossible for me. Yeah. I'm fortunate that my thumb and my index fingers work pretty much the way they're supposed to. And so I've got that critical pinch grip 
you know, yeah. forefinger that that you need for delicate craftsmanship. And um, I, I use my teeth a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you you would laugh at the if you if you saw the times where I've had a a a, 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 a an assembly in one hand a. Uh, a glue looper in the other hand and a brush with some CA kicker on it between my teeth. (laughs) I try to make them all come together at the same point in space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's comical and you just, you know, you just have to have a sense of humor about it and and just press on. It's, you know, I mean, you know, the, the only, for me, the only other choice is to just curl up and die. And I'm not, quite ready to do that so i just keep doing what i do yeah i, th- I think people that have had serious injuries um are, are probably a little bit more um they've got a little bit more drive probably i think than um that they don't give up as easily um i also think that that at least with with when you you know we talk about action sports or a lot of of you know injuries that come from that type of thing you're already dealing with somebody who's pretty aggressive and pretty driven in the first yeah yeah it's by your own you're you're fiercely competitive but yeah i mean it's yeah absurdly competitive i i was not a professional motocross racer but it was a part of my life from the time I was, you know, a, a boy until I was hurt. And I probably have, uh, I know I have at least a couple hundred races under my belt over the years. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, you, you, you just, if, if you, if you're going to be, if you're going to be serious about, about trying to be good at something like that, you've got to have, you've got to have the drive. And I'm fortunate that I, that I'm wired that way. Hmm. What were some of your initial struggles that you had with modeling uh, at that early stage um, after the after the initial accident? Like, what was? I think I've skipped ahead a bit there. Actually, I should have asked. Really, at what point did modeling come back into? Um, your life after the accident at what point did you suggest it or did the therapist suggest it or just yeah, bought it, and die? it it uh i had you know like a lot of us i had built model airplanes as a as a kid you know before i discovered girls and motorcycles and beer and all that stuff you know i i, I like a lot a lot of us in that respect and um, when I was working with my occupational therapist, I, she, you know, she had me doing all the standard stuff, pick up this marble, drop it in this glass, wad up this piece of paper, you know, just stuff like that, which is necessary. Yeah. But it, but it was frustrating and uh, it, 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 was, it was boring. Yeah, <laughs> and, nothing to show at the end of it. Yeah, there was, yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to see some results. I mean, the results are there, but, you know, you just don't see them immediately. Yeah. You get no, no instant gratification. So I suggested to her one day, I said, hey, what if I got a, a model airplane to work on? Because I could do that while you're not here. 
and uh, she was like, <laughs> "Okay, champ, you go." And uh, you know, I don't think she, I don't think she thought that uh, that that the odds were in my favor. But I bought one. Uh, it was a terrible choice of of kits, as it turned out. But I bought one, and um, you know, there I went. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's how it happened. What was the kit you picked? <laughs> it was the it was the uh, Hasegawa one thirty second scale P fifty one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> and and I bought that one because I remembered from from my youth reading copies of Fine Scale Modeler and knowing about the Japanese model kit companies like Tamiya and Hasegawa and Minicraft and being just, you know, in awe of those things, which I could not afford on my meager, you know, 12 year old farmhand wages. I, I could get monogram. That was my, that was my brand. Um, yeah. And so, you know, when I was, when I was four in my forties and, and, had some money to spend and I was trying to pick a kit for my rehab. I thought, you know, maybe I can, should get something, something cool. And, uh, I figured out that I didn't want all 500 pieces of the Tamiya Mustang and, uh, thought, Oh, look, you know, this Hasegawa kit is a good compromise. <laughs> and I had no idea what a pig of a kit it was it was going to prove to be i mean it's literally one of the i mean it's terrible it was it was i think they molded that thing in the in the 70s or something or the 80s maybe i don't know but it is really bad and yeah. it was yeah it took me three years off and on to finish that thing so, but anyway, you went, uh, you went on and uh, created some, uh, you know, done some great work. Um, and so you created your channel. And I noticed you have the moniker on there, Rube Goldberg and the voices in his head. Now, I looked up Rube Goldberg, um, <laughs> and he's a famous cartoonist um, from what I can see. Uh, and... If I remember rightly, was he? Did he do a lot of engineering type? He type? was, yeah. He was an engineering kind of guy who had this, you know, other talent of of drawing these amazing cartoons. He would imagine these bizarre machines that, you know, would have all kinds of of crazy mechanisms for doing something as simple as as putting a piece of toast in the toaster. Uh, yeah, and and it became a thing, and I, I just I I just admired the everything. I, I mean, he's, he was just an obviously a really neat guy, and I just thought I don't know. It was kind of a spur of the moment thing, and I thought, well, sometimes I feel like that. I'm I'm trying to to do crazy things just to get something simple done, so maybe it fits. Do many people ever ask you about that? Occasionally, yeah. It's a little, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little esoteric, I guess. Because for a long time, it kept coming up every time you, you, you know, I'd watch an episode of whatever you'd put out and it would come up Rube Goldberg. And for about five minutes afterwards, I would be thinking, I've got to go and find out who that guy is. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until this interview came around that I actually got, got up off my ass and went and done it. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it was uh, interesting. Yep, he was a real dude and an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. It's um, so uh, you know you you adapt many of your tools um, that you you get. I've I've seen you get tools come in and and then you go off to create um, extensions on the handles or whatever. And I guess that's for you know. Com, you know comfortability to uh you know to use and things like that um do you is that something that you enjoy doing now the is that another process no it's i mean and i don't really i don't really do that much of it i there's a few things i have like scribers for example where I really want to be able to control the rotation of the tool. I don't want it to get away from me. So if it's got a round handle, I'll put a, a wad of, of something like uh, sculpting epoxy on it and create yeah. a, a grip that, you know, molds itself to my fingers so that I get the proper grip uh, whenever I, you know, whenever you, I use it, but I, I don't, I mean, I don't really do that much of it. It's just, you know, it's just one of those things. If it's necessary, then I'll do it, but it's, it's not a, it's not a thing. Yeah. Um, so moving on a little bit more, you, um, the opportunity came up now. I think this was, you know, was Panama last year or was that this year? It was last year. Yeah. Christ, has it been that long already? Um, yeah, hard to believe. So, yeah, so the opportunity for stem cell treatment came up because, if I remember correctly, you couldn't have it in the states. Right. Um, so you you went down the route and uh, went uh, and took opened up a, like a GoFundMe page. Um, how did you feel about the response to that? Um, well, it, it was it was great. I mean, I was I was really gratified because um, I, I just just to be really clear on this point, I did not do the GoFundMe page to try and raise money. Uh, I mean, that was for me that was kind of a bonus. Um, yeah, I I was committed to doing the to doing the thing uh, regardless of you know, if I had to pay a hundred percent of it or not, I, I, I had to make that decision from the very beginning. Yeah. You know? yeah. But what I wanted to do was try and get people in sort of invested in it as a, like a group, a group project, if you want to call it that, because, yeah. because there's a lot of misinformation out there about stem cell technology and I think it's really important stuff. And I just felt like, the more people that I can sort of get attached to what I'm doing, the more I can sort of help generate increased awareness. Yeah. I, I felt like that was part of what made it worthwhile for me to, you know, to go to the expense of both treasure and personal energy uh, to do it. Yeah. I mean, that, that was some of the most interesting, uh, uh, updates of yours that I watched. I, I remember watching all of the updates. Uh, I, I love looking around Panama as well. Um, and it was just amazing to see all about the stem cell 
research um, and, and get a, a get a perspective of it that wasn't um, being voiced by all the people that were, oh, no, they come from embryos and, uh, you know, all the misinformation that was out there. Um, and and why, why it's not allowed generally in a lot of places, I couldn't understand that. And, and you made a lot of these points clear um, and answered a lot of questions. Um, we can only hope that maybe in some way uh, this, this information you put out gets back to the, the people that it needs to get back to. Um, I hope so. And even, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously it's even continuing a little bit now a year later because here we are talking about it again. And, um, yeah. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it needs to. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's uh, so. Are there any other? Have you got any other updates on your progress since then? Has there been? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's a subtle thing. There were there were no there were no miracles. I did not. Yeah. I did not, uh, and and I think it's probably important just to say real quickly that the reason that I had to go to Panama. Was, specific part of the treatment that's not allowed in the United States was the, is the, the fact that they are injecting adult umbilical cord stem cells uh, directly into the spinal cord. Yeah. That's the, that's the gnarly part that the uh, FDA food and drug administration over here in the United States does not allow yet. Um, but but there were no miracles. I did not come home and suddenly start running a mile or or whatever. But I have seen some improvements, uh, and you know it's when when you're dealing with a with a spinal cord injury like mine, you know sometimes it's a subtle thing, and you you know one day you may think oh this is great I'm doing much better, and then the next day you may feel completely the opposite, and uh, so you kind of have to be able to you know, sift through the noise and, and really kind of tune into what, what your body's telling you. And, and, um, I, I do feel like that overall, when I do that, that I can say that there have been some improvements in some specific areas that I was hoping for. Yeah. I, I, let's face it. You went through hell, um, there. Uh, it was, yeah. It was very painful. Yeah. Um, that that much was evident on uh, some of your updates uh, and your broadcasts that you made from there, and uh, I remember just seeing you do. I think you not long had a session done, and you 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 made a quick broadcast, and I, I, was, I just sat there thinking that poor man, he's really going through it over there. Um, it was honestly one of, if not the most painful experience of my entire life. Uh, I mean, it, you know, the days immediately after my spinal cord injury were 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 pretty painful, probably maybe more painful. But but this was pretty close to the same level of pain. Yeah, I think maybe you know a little bit about neuropathy and you know from your own situation. Yeah, and, yeah. And nerve pain is. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing that prepares you for, for nerve pain. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just. Yeah, it's, it, it's very electrical in nature. I think it's, um, it, it's on and off just like that. I find, um, 
one minute it's not there and then you know literally a flick of a switch and all of a sudden you've got bang pains firing off left right and center yeah it's, yeah and you sometimes there's say, say that again johnny it drives you nuts yeah and sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason to what's what's driving it what's creating it you know there are days when i think i'm gonna feel terrible today and then i don't and then i have the exact opposite kind of days as well yeah so i uh, and i choose and have chosen since about a year after my injury to deal with my neuropathy uh pretty much drug free and so there are days when I just can't talk to anybody because that's, you know, that's the only way that I can really cope with it. Uh, so it's a challenge, but fortunately I have more, more decent days than, than, than terrible days. Yeah. So moving on to a bit of general sort of modeling now. Um, if you got any sort of rituals uh, you have while you're modeling, do you, you know, like listen to S Club 7 while you're building or <laughs> Backstreet Boys, or, you know? <laughs> uh, definitely not Backstreet Boys. Uh, definitely not. Um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of audio books. Um, that happens a lot. Um but as far as rituals go, I don't know that I, that I necessarily have any. Um, I, I, I am pretty rule driven. I, I have a lot of rules, I guess, if you want to call them that, but I don't have any rituals, so to speak other. Well, I, I guess there is one, um, throwing the box away when it's done. <laughs> that's, that seems like, that seems like a yeah. sense. Yeah, I think, I think that's what I could do with learning with that one because I've got loads of empty boxes. <laughs> yeah, that seems that always seems like a ceremony to the point where I, I won't do it until I know I've made the last adjustment or the last brush stroke. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, that would come under ritual. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I don't think I've got any, no. You're not, you know, you don't immediately go wash your sprues. That's not, you're not one of no, those. No, no, I'm not one of those. I, I don't do that. Um, no, you know, I just can't. And Angela would say, yeah, because Angela says I've got OCD. So she'd say there's loads of things that I do. Um, but I honestly don't think, can't think of anything. What about you, Josh? You got any rituals? I, yeah, I, <laughs> I think mine is just trying to find time to be at this bench. That's the ritual I try to constantly have at least one day or a certain time. Or you got a busy time. life, though, ain't you? You you've, you got really oh, busy between working fifty, sixty hours a week and a six-year-old. Yeah, I I I have to make time for this <laughs> if I want to do it. You know, is your room changing there? Me. Yeah, yeah. The view is just uh, for the people that oh, listen. I put the camera more on me. I, I'm, I mean, I'm just usually I, I put the camera like this. It just looked, yeah. It just looked like you're doing some. You, your room had changed in the background. So uh, anyway, oh, looks yeah. like he's doing some drywall in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it looked like you've got some sort of decorating. Or oh, oh no, I, I decorate just fine. 
I, I decorate the walls just fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, internet obviously had a massive impact on modeling. Um, and in particular, it's had an impact on the shops. Um, so I think I know what you're going to say to this. Are you an internet person or a shop person? And if you're uh, an internet person, which I think you're going to say you are, what do you think shops could do, if anything, to try and bring the balance back? Or do you think that's completely gone now? Well, that's a good one. Um, and I've, I've seen the phenomenon that you're talking about in both uh, beyond just modeling. Uh, you know, being a motocross guy. Yeah. I was on the inside of that industry. So I saw that at the ground level uh, and photography because I eventually left the corporate world to become a, a full-time photographer and very same situation there. Um, so, you know, it's a challenge because, uh, you know, like if you're in my situation, I live 15 miles outside of a very small town on a farm. Yeah. Um, and even if I felt like getting off my ass and going to town to go to the model store, there's not one. Uh, there's a Hobby Lobby. I know that, you know, that'll, that won't mean much to you guys over in the UK, but in the United States, you know, Hobby Lobby is this giant craft department store and they carry some basics of model making. And, and there are guys that like to shop there for sure. But you know, if you want to go find a set of resin wheels for your your model, uh, it's not going to happen at Hobby Lobby. No. You know, you've got to find it at a at a very specialized uh, model shop, and that's the problem. Is when you think about all the different model kits that we want to build, and all the different ways that we want to build them, and and the different things that each of us wants to do. You know, one guy wants to put HGW seatbelts in his Spitfire. Another guy's fine with the decals. Another guy wants to make his own out of, of masking tape. Um, how does a retailer decide what to stock? I mean, I, I can't even imagine uh, how, how you deal with, with that storage and overhead and all that stuff. So I honestly, I don't know, man. I, I'm sure somebody's going to say that I've got a bad attitude, but I think that ship has sailed. Uh, I'm in complete agreement with you. I, I think um, shops are, uh, and I don't mean it in a horrible way, but they're 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 finished. Um, as you can go online, I can go on the computer now. Shops are all shut. I can go on the computer now and pretty much order anything. Yeah, and have, and have you know I don't know sixty percent of it here by tomorrow. Yeah, and it's kind of fun. I mean, I like seeing neat little packages from South Korea and Japan and places like that showing up on my doorstep. I can never figure out how they do it. There's, uh, I don't know if you've you got some of these programs like Wish, um, and and they sell stuff 
at ridiculous prices that comes from Korea and China and places like that. And um, it's it's their uh, postage and packing. It, it must cost next to nothing over there to post something. Must be. Because they can't be making any profit on, on stuff over there because uh, I just uh, I don't see how they can post a huge box of Lego to build, I don't know, like a Ferrari for six quid. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Over here, you would pay 10 quid just for that to post it to the next town. Yeah, they have completely different economic models for that kind of stuff, I guess. But, you know, it's, it's hey, it's great. I'm glad that however they do it, they, they managed to get it done. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, so what's your favorite brand? Of? <laughs> Out of, uh, when it comes to model kits, what's your favorite? Um, or don't you have one? Are you just like a... Oh, I definitely do have have a favorite. Uh, it's easy. That's an easy one. Um, uh, Tamiya, by, by far. Um, I'm fortunate that uh, I love I love aircraft. I mean, I build all kinds of things, but I love aircraft. And Tamiya's aircraft kits are, on average, at least unsurpassed. I don't still think there's any argument with that. No. I, Sorry, I, I I will like I've been I've been going through the uh, Tamiya 132nd Spitfire for the last for the last uh, uh, nine or ten months I guess and I frequently am just giggling to myself at how clever they are and how beautifully and elegantly they've engineered the thing. And, and they, you know, it's it's pretty evident that that Mr. Tamia has a, a a model maker's mind because, you know, when you take into account things like Tamia Extra Thin, for example, it's not just the plastic itself. They've engineered the whole system to to, to it's like the Apple ecosystem kind of in a way. It, it's it's engineered to where it all works together. They. Yeah. They create that that fit between the parts specifically so that Tamiya Extra Thin will wick in between and provide a, a, a perfect bond. Uh, and, and I just, uh, you know, especially with my engineering background, I just have so much respect for what they do that it's impossible for them not to be my favorite. Yeah. I've, you know, I've never built a Tamiya plane. Oh, my God. I've got two in my stash. One's an F-16. Um, not their best. Not their best effort. Um, and I can't remember what the other one was. Uh, let's let's see. Uh, 36 scale Mark 9 Spit, Mark 40 Spit, Mustang Corsair. Yeah. <laughs> I've got them all, Will. And I agree. Yeah, so you, you know. You know. And, and they're about to release at long last to great you know choruses of hallelujah from the model making world the 148 yep 148 lightning and of course we're all hoping that that eventually translates to a 132nd one well maybe not all of us but a bunch of us oh no, uh, that would be nice it would be it would be wonderful yeah. um but but it, you know you mark if you've not built one yeah 
you need to stop everything. Stop what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And and and, uh, and get in uh, and get into one because uh, they are. It, it'll change the way you look at every other manufacturer, in my opinion. I know what I'll have to do. I'll have, I'll have to send Mark a copy of my uh, Hazinghauer 30 second scale spit uh, or a Mosquito Mustang. So you've built the Hasegawa 30 second Mustang? I've, I've got two of them left. So you, you, you know, you know what I'm saying about how terrible that thing is, right? Yeah. Well, this and, is it. And you've built the Tamiya equivalent, right? Yeah. So you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about, yeah. right? It's, I'll have to send Mark one of each down and he'll see the light bulb moment come on. Ding! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I always say anybody who disagrees that Tamiya is not the best had never built one. I mean, so one of the things, uh, and most people that, you know, have seen the stuff I've, I've put out on my YouTube channel will know that one of my biggest, um, one of my biggest bugbears, I suppose, is the fact that um, I personally feel there is a place for these bad kits. Um, let me let me try and explain. So, I believe, and I use this analogy whenever I try and explain this, that if you take if you take uh, two people that have no modelling experience and you put one of them with uh, and learn to model just with Meng, Bandai, that, you know, them kits, and then the other one trains with Revel, um, you know, some Airfix, uh, them sorts of kits, the ones that are classed as being problematic. And then after a year of doing these, uh, of learning the the, the the craft as it were you then give them both um a kit to build one that's challenging in many areas who would fare the best and, and i think the person that's done all the building on the bad kits will learn the mo more skills Yeah, I, I mean, I can't disagree with that. I there's you know people, it, it's a little it's a little frustrating because people will sometimes go on about so-called basic modeling skills, and it's a frustrating topic for me because who gets to decide what's basic? I mean, yeah, where, you know where where does any of us where where does any of us have the the authority to define what those basic skills are? Because what might be basic or easy or, or simple to, for one guy may be really hard for another dude. Yeah. And, and, it, may, and it also comes down to how you get your groove on. Um, you know, if, if what you want to do is, is put together a canvas that gives you the opportunity to do painting and weathering, then, you know, maybe the Tamiya kit is, is the right choice to start with if you're that kind of person. On the other hand, if you really enjoy fettling and you want to solve all those problems and, and you want to get your sandpaper on, then get you a Revell kit, you know, get you an Airfix kit, whatever it is. I, I, so I don't think there's a rule. 
necessarily. And, and, and I get a little frustrated when people try to act like there is because we all do the hobby for our own individual reasons. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's what it boils down to. I think that, that it's great that there's, you know, that there's a variety of kits out there. Um, you know, it, uh, would I be f- totally fine if every single kit was as good as Tammy? Yeah, sure. <laughs> that wouldn't bother me at all. Um, you know, but I, I respect the guys who want to build and want to problem solve because I've done it. I can do it. I don't mind doing it. Um, yeah. and there's certain, I understand the satisfaction. But here's what here's what I don't like is when some of these guys sort of get real condescending about the basic modeling skills thing and act like somehow that because they can do a great job on a crappy kit that they're somehow above everybody else. And, and that's not, that's not cool. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I also, it's also frustrating when guys say, well, you know, you know, you get to talking about a crappy kit and somebody says, well, but it can be built wonderfully if you have good skills. Well, so what? It doesn't change the fact that it's a crappy kit. Yeah. 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 I I, I just think, you know, it's for me, it's important to be objective about it. If you love building terrible kits, that's great, man. More power to you. But, uh, you know, like just own it. Yeah. It's a crappy kit, but I'm having fun with it because that's really all that matters. Yeah. I mean, I've got to confess that, um, I had, I had a kit that I built and I was told, uh, by numerous people, I wouldn't be able to build it. It was unbuildable. Um, and I decided that I was going to keep this kit. I was going to build it. And lo and behold, the thing went together like a dream. It really worked out well. Um, and I did kind of, um, I did sort of broadcast it at the time because <laughs> I was so chuffed that this thing had just gone together and was going together as well as it was. And I'd had so much grief that it wasn't going to, it was going to be unbuildable. Um, uh, yeah. And I did lay that a bit on uh, YouTube. I put lots of posts up that uh, I was managing to build it. And which kit was it? It was the um, <clears throat> Revel. I'm looking at it now. Revel 132nd Phantom, the 20th. Was it twentieth or fiftieth anniversary? Do you know F4 the one name? The what? It was the F4F, the German anniversary one. Yeah, the German anniversary F4F Phantom um, by Revel. Yeah, I've heard that's I've heard that's a tough one. And and look, you should be proud of that. You absolutely should be. I I, I think I think that that I mean everybody should should find their own path and engage with the work in the way that makes them feel the most fulfilled. Nobody else has a right to tell you that the way you enjoy your hobby is right or wrong or less or more. Yeah. So, um, which companies let you down? Well, let down is probably not the best choice of words here. Which company have you been most disappointed with? Um, 
I'm going to say lately, because if you go back right, you could include Matchbox and everything. But if, if we just say in the last year or so, has there been one company that you've, you've, you've sort of gone and put a kit together and thought, wow, that's in this day and age, that's just pretty damn poor? Uh, well, if, if you're going to limit me to the last year, then it would be pretty easy because I, <laughs> I haven't finished much in the last year. I just seem to have gotten into a weird cycle of, of having a, of having four or five things going on, but none of them uh, getting close to finished. Um, so, yeah, I um, one of the things that I started within the last year that, that has been a major disappointment uh, and I know this is going to get some hate, but I don't, you know, it is what it is. Uh, model factory hero. Um, I s started the model factory hero Bruff superior, which if anybody doesn't know, that's a, that's a, one of the most famous motorcycles of, of, of all motorcycling history. And the model factory hero kit of it is beautiful and it costs like $500 and it is a multimedia kit that is almost entirely white metal with some cast yeah. parts, a lot of photo edge. Um, and it's terrible. <laughs> huh. They're popping up everywhere. Then model factory hero kits. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, and, and, and when, if you, if you hang out in the MFH group on Facebook, you see a lot of amazing stuff. But when you read between the lines and really pay attention to the commentary, you'll see that, that, you know, a lot of guys don't really mince words about the fact that these kits are very difficult. The, the white metal requires a lot of prep work and a lot of, of problem solving. And the fit is not great. And it is very challenging. Um, but they're super expensive and a lot of guys don't want to, you know, they don't, I mean, and, and when you, and it's just like anything, if you do a good job and you're diligent, it's going to be beautiful at the end. But a lot of guys don't really want to admit that these kits are really rough because model factory hero has this legendary status. Yeah. Mostly with car mate, with car modelers, military guys won't have any idea what I'm talking about, but, Model Factory Hero is has got this legendary status because they're Japanese and they make these incredibly cool, uh, you know, models that you can't get from anybody else, and the detail is 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 amazing. But man, <laughs> I I often hear the phrase, "It's not a model; it's an engineering project." Yeah, and I don't I don't agree with that because because I think that's conflating engineering with with just uh shop work i mean you have to figure out you know where to drill holes and what size to make them and so i guess you could call that engineering but to me that's just a lot of basic shop work yeah it, man i was i honestly i'm i'm struggling to, to think about when i'm gonna resume working on the damn thing because it was such an ass whipping for the for the month or so that I spent with it uh, back around December. So I don't know. Beyond that, I built the, I built a TACOM kit uh, that I finished last fall, which was one of their, one of their trucks, 135th scale. And 
it was terrible. It, 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 it pissed me off every time I picked it up. Um, but it's a little bit of a dichotomy because, because I know that take on or tack on or take home or however you, however you say it, they do some really neat stuff. That's really good. But this just yeah. wasn't one of them. It had a lot of bad engineering and a lot of bad fit. But at the same time, if you compare this little truck to what's average in the car modeling world, it's amazeballs. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, super detailed and, and lots and lots of neat parts. But sloppy engineering, sloppy fit made the build experience frustrating. So, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess those would be my letdowns. Before that, Rebel Germany, without a doubt. That was a couple years ago, so we don't have to talk about that. Yeah, they're, uh, they're Rebel Germany. Uh, um, I, I like ICM. Um, I like a lot of their kits. Um, I don't know what they were like years ago, but I like the stuff they're coming out with, the new stuff. And I, I don't know whether, what the thing is between Ravel and ICM, but Ravel seem to be pushing a lot of ICM product lately. Um, whether there's something to do with them not having much money, I don't know. Um, but they're reboxing a lot of their sprues. Uh, you can tell because you take the sprue out and it's got written on it somewhere, ICM. Um, well, going through their whole you know, reorganization, bankruptcy, all that stuff. I can imagine that it's a lot easier for them to rebox than yeah. to produce new tools. Yeah. And I, well, uh, to be fair to them, I think um, at the moment, uh, if they've picked ICM, I think they've made a good choice there to rebox them ones because um, they're cheap. Um, and I like. Uh, you know some of their figures. I'm, I mean, no viewers can't, listeners can't see this, but I like doing their little. Uh, this is the biking, but uh, that's cool. I didn't even know they were doing that. Yeah, yeah, they've got quite a range of figures now. Um, we'll see if we can get a picture on that on the screen of what I've just showed. Will there? Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, I like ICM. So we're going to move on now to uh, 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 your scale model critique channel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we've been back and forth on how best to phrase these questions. Phrase them, oh. phrase them, phrase them however you want. It's all good. Yeah. Come, on, come at me. It's all good. So now I know this has been asked before and you've answered this before, but I would be amiss if I didn't ask this. How did SMC come to be? Well, uh, yeah, let me, let me clarify. It is not my channel or, or my group. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't look at it that way at all. I'm one of the administrators. Yeah. Um, the other one currently is Matt McDougall of Dukes models. Um, and originally there were three of us, uh, Jim DeCesar of Jim's models. Uh, it was really Jim's idea. Um, he, and it, it kind of started out as a little bit of a joke. Uh, we, you know, we were, we were just kind of the three of us kind of grumbling privately about the fact that most of the Facebook model making groups are what we kind of call attaboy groups. 
uh, where critique is or feedback is is not allowed unless it's asked for. And so, and that's fine. Don't I'm not I'm not trying to be critical of that because that's the way that you know each each Facebook group is is its own thing, and and the house rules are what they are, and people should respect those. Um, but what happens is that in a lot of these groups, every model that gets posted gets lots of, of attaboys. Now, hey, it looks great. That's awesome. Super cool. And that's all that some people want. And that's totally fine. That's, that's what they're in for. But some of us are a little nuttier and <laughs> we want more direct and more specific feedback because we believe that that's the best way to improve your craft. Um, yeah. and, and for me, that's not just for model making. That's from basically everything I've ever done in my life. That's pretty much the way I'm wired. Like I, when I was racing motocross, I went to motocross clinics and schools and you know, you'd get, you'd get beat down. Look, if you don't stick your foot out earlier going into this turn, you're never going to get through the turn faster. And when you're racing, you know, you either apply that or you lose. And so that's just kind of the way I'm wired. I like that. I enjoy that direct feedback. And we, the three of us, you know, the more we talked about it, the more we were kind of like, you know what, there's really not a group out there. That's a sort of a safe space. For us weirdos that really want to go that hard and why don't we make one let's make a you know let's make something different and so it turned from being kind of a of a laugh to being a real thing and like you said earlier i think it's got something like 10 or eleven thousand members in it now and um it's honestly surprised me i never thought it would go beyond a few hundred um, but it has turned into a thing and we're proud yeah. of it. We're, we're proud of, of it. Yeah. Sure. And, and it has, uh, a f well, it, well, it's got a fearsome reputation uh, <laughs> in, in, in all circles of the modeling community. SMC is known. Um, some good majority of good. Um, you know, some people have got, with, as with any site, when you've got that level of people uh, that are subscribing um, and you're offering sometimes brutally honest critiques, um, not everyone can cope with the, the critique they get, even though they like to think they can. And they go in, yeah, 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 I want, all, I want an honest critique. When they actually get it, um, they don't like it. Um, what do you say to prospective members coming in? You know, somebody says, yeah, I know it's, you're going to give me an honest critique. Do you, do you say to them, look, you need to be aware that it will be honest. It will be raw. Um, make sure you're prepared for that. Sure. Well, I, I would say a couple of things because I, <laughs> I think our fearsome reputation comes from a couple of different things that I should probably address. Um, first, I, I, sometimes I wish we had not named it the scale modelers critique group because 
that's not all we do. I think people get the idea that the only function is to post finished models and have people provide critique or feedback. I actually don't like even, I don't even like the word critique. I, I, I prefer feedback, but, but the point being is we do a lot more in there than just that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, there is no place else in on Facebook that I know of where you will find a thread running to a hundred comments about the virtues of, of paintbrushes or sprue cutters, or, you know, somebody will post a, a you know, a, a reference, reference photo hall, and we'll have a huge discussion about whether or not, you know, there should be powder burns on the wings of a P-51. And, 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 and there are a lot of people, we, I fully understand, there are a lot of people who just don't care about that stuff. And, and, and they will say, well, that ruins the fun. Well, okay, I get that, it, that it's not fun for everybody, but it's fun for us. Yeah. You know, we, we are super nerdy in there. Uh, I, like I created a thread yesterday. I said, uh, uh, three tools that you love, <laughs> one photo. Yeah. And why? Why do you love those three tools? And then the point was that when you talk to really skilled craftsmen about their tools, they can tell you in great detail why they love them, you know, because it fits in their hand a certain way. It, it balances a certain way. It, it allows them to, to, to do a certain technique with, with greater e efficiency or effectiveness. It's not just, well, because it was cheap. Well, because I like, you know, I like the label on the bottle or whatever, you know. Yeah. It, it's, it's a different level of attachment to your tools and, and, and to your work. And, and, and we try to promote that. We try to promote that level of craftsmanship. So it, it's not just, you know, it's not just critique of finished projects. In fact, I, I try to encourage people to post more of their work in process because that's really when the feedback is the most valuable. Yeah. You know, you've got that. You've got the opportunity to change things if you want to um, with the, with the, with the feedback that you get. So I, I, I would, I, I would encourage people who, you know, to, to understand that about the group. Now, would, go ahead. Sorry, sorry carry on. I, I was just going to say then the, the other thing is, that people need to understand. I, we have a little bit of a reputation that I that is very unfairly earned. That we tear people's models apart, and, and that is simply not the case. Um, you know, we we allow people to uh, like. Let's say, Mark, that you posted pictures of your F four on Mark's model page on Facebook. Yeah. It's a public page. We take the view that if you post your work publicly, uh, and not in a closed group, mind you, but if you post your work publicly, you're basically saying, hey, world, I want you to see it. And that, yeah. then, that then entitles the world to say stuff about it. It's not any different than when Lady Gaga comes out with a new song. We're all free to talk about it. We, yeah. don't, have to, we don't have to ask her permission. We don't have to check with her to play it and listen to it with our buddies and discuss it. And if it were an art class, we wouldn't be able to talk to Vermeer or Rembrandt about whether or not it was okay to discuss their work. So we don't see this as being any different. And so if somebody po posts something 
that's really inspirational and re- really high quality and uh, can, can serve as the focus point of an educational discussion, then we will post work by people who, was, who, who are not in the group. And, yeah. and then, and you, you know, you'll get guys who will say, yeah, that's awesome, but the thing is the wrong color. Or, yeah, that's great work, but why did he do the exhaust stain like that or whatever? That's not tearing someone's work apart. That's having a conversation about the work. Yeah. And it's frustrating when people can't tell the difference or they make an issue out of it. And what we absolutely do not allow under any circumstances is for it to become personal. You know, if, 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 if somebody says, man, I can't believe that guy painted that thing like that. What an idiot. That's not going to be received very well by anybody in the group. And that guy's probably going to be on his way out because that's just not called for. It's play the ball, not the man. And, and we try to be really, really uh, strict about that. Um, and then the third thing I would say I would, <laughs> that I caution people coming into the group about, if I have the opportunity, is we run the thing through a combination of anarchy and fierce adherence to the rules that we do have. Uh, which means we let people be adults. We practically encourage profanity. Uh, <laughs> you know, so if you get your feels hurt by stuff like that, it's not going to be fun for you. We encourage direct and honest conversation. We really encourage people not to waste everybody's time. So read the, you know, read the thread before you, you start smashing the keys um, we want people to be engaged and, and we, you know, so, so, you know, like our rules about no politics, for example, we're extremely strict about that. I muted, I muted one of my favorite guys for three days just this morning because he, you know, he slipped and, and said something about Donald Trump. Sorry, doesn't fly. We're not going to tolerate it. So, you know, we let people run as much as as is appropriate in the, in the way that we, in the style that we want, but we come down hard on people who, who, who break the, uh, you know, the, the rules that we've set. And we also try to have fun with it. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> you know, we, we have, a, I do a thing, you know, I, I use the mute button with, 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 with gleefulness. <laughs> And it's, and it's, it's for fun and for laughs, you know, and for camaraderie, but it's also to kind of make the point. Like if somebody fails to read the thread, you know, if it's turned into a trap yeah. thread and somebody. That, that, that happens a lot. I, I saw that thread you put up, uh, the three tools and I read that. <laughs> and my first response was to myself, I read it and I thought, somebody's going to screw that up. Somebody <laughs> is going to. I don't know, within 20, within 20 messages, somebody's going to get that wrong. They're going to mess that up. And um, I came back to it later on. And, and sure enough, <laughs> I think a little bit further down, there was somebody had put a, three pictures up um, and no explanation. Or didn't put a picture up. Right, right. <laughs> and I, I, um, truthfully, I haven't. I haven't muted anybody in that thread yet because there was a subtle thing in, in the way that I wrote the OP. 
which was if you fail to read the thread and and what the, the, the evidence that somebody has failed to read the thread is always that they've said something that's already been said. And so that's the trap. If somebody didn't, didn't post a picture uh, or, you know, didn't include all three of their favorite tools or didn't say why that's, I didn't, I didn't mute anybody for that. I just gave them a hard time. Hey, you didn't follow. Yeah. The What's up with that? You failed. But, but we do the read the thread thing because here, look, here's, it goes a little deeper than this. I'm a huge believer that time is the one truly non-renewable resource that we all have. And I don't want my time wasted and I don't want to waste your time. And so when somebody just barrels into a thread that's, you know, a hundred comments long and says stuff that's already been said, you know, some guy asks a real simple question and you know people just start repeating the answer because they don't have time to read the thread well look sorry what you're telling me is that your time is more important than everybody else's time and you just don't have the right to say that so i feel like this is kind of one of those internet etiquette things where people you know in order to respect everyone else's time you got to give a little bit of your own and that means read the thread and if it's already been said, don't, you know, don't take everybody's bandwidth by saying it all over again. And so, you know, that's why we give a little bit of a penalty for that. But look, it's a 24-hour mute. If you get a 24-hour mute in Scale Modeler's Critique Group, that's basically just a love tap. It's not serious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, 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 just, that's just dudes giving dudes a hard time. It's not serious until it's seven days. If you get a seven-day mute, you know you screwed up. What's How fair? often have you done that? Which one? Seven. <laughs> I, I honestly, much less frequently than than you might think. Um, I look. I know we have a fearsome reputation, but the truth is that it is a very well-behaved group, and we don't have a lot of trouble. I mean, I don't. I don't, I don't have to mute or ban very many, very many times at all. And I'm happy. I like, you know, on a certain level, I like for it to be boring. And part of the reason is because people know that we're going to stick to the rules that we've, that we've established no matter who you are. I mean, look, I, I, I've got, I've got guys in there who I consider Facebook friends who will tell you that they've, they've been on the end of the mute stick. I don't, you know, I don't, it's, it's, it's not about any one of us. It's about the group as a whole. Yeah, that's, that's fair, fair enough. That's a fair comment. Uh, I mean, you must get, you've got to have haters. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, sure. I mean, if you don't have a few haters, you're not doing it right. Oh, I've got more than a few. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where they're coming from. I think there's a little club of them or something. But um, what's what's the wackiest person you've ever come across? <laughs> oh goodness, I don't know, man. I hate to even think hard enough about them to give and give them any oxygen because it's uh, you look to me, you know, yeah, you're going to have haters in life no matter what you do, and sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, it can be a good thing. And for, for a couple of reasons, I guess one is 
that sometimes the haters are right. You know, just because somebody's hating on you doesn't mean that they don't have a point. Yeah. And I, and I think that it's always good to, to at least ask yourself that question and, and give it some consideration. And what it comes down to is who are you going to pay attention to? You know, who do you respect? Who has earned your respect and why? And, you know, and that, that should make it pretty easy for you to sort the, uh, the haters out from the people that, that you really should, should pay attention to. The other thing is, you know, a lot of times haters can be great, great uh, motivation, you know, because if they're hating on you, that, that, you know, that can make you work harder. Because well, per- perfect example there is my uh, Phantom. That was... Absolutely. Work. Absolutely. Perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's going to be people in life who are just negative all the time. And they've got nothing better to do than go hit the thumbs down thing on face on, on YouTube. And that's, I mean, they're all, you know, they think that they're set, that that's great. And they're, they're making a statement, but really, honestly, I mean, they haven't contributed much to the world at that point. And, uh, so I just, honestly, I, I, I don't, I don't pay a lot of attention to the haters. I know they're out there and I know who they are. I've had guys get so mad at me over the fact that I refuse to agree on a point like whether or not you need to clear coat before you, you, before you apply decals and more, oh, wow. specific, more specifically, whether or not you, you should use future as your clear coat. <laughs> that, they, that they have leveled insults at me over my physical disabilities. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Are you telling me that you're such a little bitch that this kind of thing angers you to that point that you're willing to be such a jerk to somebody on the internet that you've never even met in person? I mean, look, that says a lot more about that person than it does about you. So you know, just laugh. I've, I've even had a phone call at home. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, it's just silly. It's just really silly for people to get so bent out of shape about stuff like this. Yeah. And I always just have to laugh because when you get into one of these little flame fests on Facebook or whatever, where, you know, I, my rule is let the other guy start throwing insults first because that's when you know. That's, that's when you know what kind of person they are. And, and that's when they've lost. So, you know, for me, it's a game. I just stick to yeah. my position, argue my points as effectively as I know how. And when the other guy loses his mind, then I just laugh. So where do you see SM, uh, SMC going, Scale Model Critique? What would you like to see it become in the long term? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we, you know, we... Uh, we, I'm not going to say that it can't be more or it can't be better because that would be, that would be hypocrisy because that's not that, I mean, that, that goes against the ethos of the group itself to ever claim such a thing. But I think we're pretty happy with what we've, with what we've managed to do. You know, 10,000 people is not a huge Facebook group by, by overall standards, and not really even by model making standards. I mean, the Tamiya group is 50,000 people. The weathered models group is 50,000 people. But what makes me happy is that we have dedicated guys 
who really want to be good craftsmen. And there's nothing for me that's as satisfying as when somebody that's that we've watched from the day they came into the group and started posting their work improve and, and grow and build their skills. And a year later, they say, this group has taught me more than any other thing in model making. Uh, I mean, that, look, it doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that, as, in my opinion. Um, we, you know, that's, that's what we, that's what we exist for at this point. Um, and I just hope we can continue to, to do that and it'll continue to be fun for the, you know, for the, for the people that want to be involved. It's not for everybody and we don't try to make it be that. Yeah. So, uh, on tools, I know you're, you're a self-confessed tool whore. Uh, (laughs) You've often called yourself this and, and I can relate to that because, um, I do buy tools, uh, one of the craziest things I bought is, uh, again, sorry, uh, listeners, you can't see this, but it, I believe it's called uh, a Bronte saw scissors. I saw these in a, in a, on a tool site. And th- them on their own w- was nothing special. But then I watched a video in which the guy done that. And I was like, wow. That is pretty cool. I've got to have them. <laughs> so I bought them. Um, I've never, ever used them. <laughs> um, I can't think of uh, what I would use them for, to be honest, at the moment. And I'm constantly doing, buying stuff like this um, because it, <laughs> I just like the look of it. Um, so, uh, you know, on, on that, what would you say your, your most expensive tool purchase has been? My most expensive, uh, and I assume we're talking only about uh, my model making workbench. Uh, making tools in particular. Yeah. The most expensive thing would be would it have to be aside from, I mean, I, I don't want to say airbrushes cause that that's everybody's most expensive purchase for the most part. Yeah. 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 That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, um, I would have to say my Proxon system. I'm a huge fan of the Proxon stuff. And yeah. I see you use that quite a lot. Yeah. I've got the Proxon, uh, EF50 Micromut, which is their rotary tool that, that is loosely the equivalent of a Dremel. So, you know, for all your grinding and polishing operations, um, that's, that's, that's what that thing is for. But uh, then I, I, my most, I mean, I love that thing. It's, I, I use it a lot, but it, like any rotary tool, it spins pretty fast. I mean, I don't know what the minimum RPM is. There's some some contention about that but but you know i mean even if it's 5000 rpm that's fine for all that sort of stuff but for drilling not so much yeah i bought the proxon miss one uh b and it it is a uh 
it's basically a, a power screwdriver slash drill and it only turns 250 RPM and it is, uh, love that thing. I, I mean, I would take it to bed with me at night if, if the cord was long enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's great. I, I have it, the, the one thing I don't like about it is that it has a, it's, it's made to, to have a, like a, just a trigger that you can yeah. flip your direction because it's made to be a screwdriver. So it needs to be yeah. able to reverse. And it's in a weird spot that I can't really hit effectively. And, and uh, so it's not, my point is it's not a positive off on switch that you can just turn on and leave on. Um, so what I do is I have it taped shut so that it's always on. And then the thing is connected to my foot switch. So I can kick the drill into action with my toe. Yeah. And I can drill holes. I'm, I mean, it's just, I love it. And it, I use tiny, tiny little bits with it. And it's great. Yeah. And it was like 85 bucks. I, I, I mean, my, I'll tell you another thing that I've got a weird thing for brushes, paint brushes. Um, I've just got a weird, um, I love a really nice paintbrush. Um, my dearest paintbrush to date was um, 18 pounds, and, and that's one of these Citadel um, artificial ones. And it's probably no better than the three pound one from around the, the cheap shop, but um, it does hold its point well. I'll give it that. It holds it better than some of the other ones, but I've just got this collection of uh, paint brushes, and in particular, I love them when they're new and they've got that really fine point. Um, do, do you suffer from any that that sort of thing, or? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I look. I I, I love I love all tools. All tools have that. <laughs> have that attraction for me. And I, I have to sometimes force myself not to buy them just because. Um, so I totally get it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, see for me, it's a 3d printer cause I've got one of those. And then if you go on the smaller scale, I've got a Dremel bandsaw and, a, and like a sanding cat or whatever, you know, belt fed thing. Oh, like a belt grinder. Yeah. I yeah, want. Like, I want a. I want a little. I want a miniature mill. Or oh a, yeah, yeah. Or, there's there's a couple of different ones like the uh, Unimat. The Unimat system you can make into a mill or a lathe, and that's one of those things that you that that it, you, you know. I need like once a year. <laughs> but I want it so bad. It's just a good thing. I don't have a place to put it or I'd already be dropping coin on it. Yeah. There's this thing, um, you can buy, you can either put a 3d print head on a mill head on or a laser head on. Uh, and that looks pretty nice. Uh, I, I, I dread to think how much that is. Um, have you done anything with lasers at all? I've, I've just, uh, I've got a laser. I was uh, given a laser by George, who's got his own laser company in Russia. Have you, have you done anything with lasers at all? 
my experience with lasers is limited to playing with the cat. <laughs> I've, I've got a two uh, a point two watt no two watt that's it a two watt laser i've never set it up um you're supposed to set up on the 3d printer and it can etch and stuff like that but i've never got around to doing it um george uh Fomichev, who I've done an interview with on my channel, um, he has he made me an administrator on this um, on his on his uh, laser channel. I know nothing about lasers, nothing at all, and um, I can't. I, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to have to sort of gracefully leave that group because I'm completely out of my depth. He's asked me to write a tutorial on installing a laser. I've got no idea. But um, I'm certainly no help. I know nothing about lasers. No, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm really into the, the 3D uh, printing. Um, I watched your uh, thing on fusion 360 up until that point i'd just been using the the free cad is it free cad um yeah and I, I wasn't that keen on it um and then you you came along and you done that uh video on fusion 360 uh, and the fact that you get a free well it's not a free you get a license for a year if you're into the hobby um that was great um but it's such a steep learning curve uh for what i'm trying to make but um i'll get there you will it's it, it's it's one of those things where i i mean like i've tried using freecad and i hated the interface and i'm experienced i knew what i was doing and i didn't like it i couldn't get on with it um but i recognized that even something that is as user-friendly as 360 actually is for somebody who's new to cad modeling it can be intimidating but yeah. but once you've been through you know some of the basics and, and got the basic in hand it gets a lot easier so i would just encourage you to stick with it and look for uh look for that guy i mentioned lars christensen on, yeah um, his tutorials are, are really fantastic well, I'm currently going through their inbuilt tutorial system. When you sign up, they've actually got uh, you, yeah, they've got like three courses. Well, they've got about six courses, but there's one that's called for total beginners, yeah, and, good. and it takes you through everything step by step. I'm currently doing that, um, but I've been on step one for the last two weeks, so it's getting uh, getting the time to put to it. Um, if I could give you one piece of advice, and any of this is for anybody who's getting into CAD modeling, learn how to define your sketches. That's the number one most important thing, and it can be it can be frustrating, but but if you can learn to do that, then you can do anything. So, uh, Josh, do you have any questions you want to ask Will? Photography. Yeah. Okay. 
on a, on a camera, when you go to set it up, you know how you get one picture that's a little blurry and then the second picture's clear? Yeah. Do you know how to get them so they all go? Okay. You have a photography background, right? Yeah, I do. I do. I, people, some of the listeners may not may not know that that was my second career after I I left the corporate world. I was one of those guys who you know started doing photography as a as a hobby while I was you know, doing a corporate job and then it grew, you know, from one thing to another, I started taking paying photography gigs and then eventually decided to leave the corporate world and become a full-time photographer. That was right not too long before my, my injury. So I do definitely have a, a photography background. I spent about a year as a, at least a, a semi-pro photographer. Um, uh, so yeah. Um, and I think what you're talking about is, is, uh, focus stacking. Um, I, I'm, I'm not totally sure, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds with technical explanations on photography, but when you shoot with a, are you shooting with a DSLR? Uh, hold on. So like what some people call a real camera as opposed to, a. Yeah. Uh, phone camera or whatever uh canon sx10 is yeah so so does that does that camera does that camera allow you to change lenses no i i think i can i might be able to add one okay so so that's what's called a bridge camera which is means that it's got the controls of a dslr and the and the basic mechanisms and all that, but it's, it's got a fixed lens probably. So you're able to control your aperture, right? And the, and the aperture, that's your F stops. So F4, F8, F11, when you hear people talk about that, that's, that's what they mean. And the, and the aperture size controls depth of field. And depth of field is just a term for how much of the foc- of the picture is in focus. So if you take a picture uh, and you're in focus, but everything behind you is super blurry, that's a shallow depth of field. If you take a picture, oh, okay. if you take a picture and everything clear to the horizon is in focus, that's large depth of field. And the thing that confuses a lot of people is that it's an inverse relationship with your aperture. So the smaller your aperture number, the less depth of field you have. So that means if you're, if you're at F4, you have less depth of field than if you're at F11. But the thing that's an inverse is that, that, that that's, it's, it's a, the aperture is actually larger at smaller numbers, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So basically, the aperture is the hole in the camera that lets the light come in. And at f4, the hole is bigger, and the depth of field shallower than in, than it is at f11 or f16. So when you're photographing your models, you want to get as much of it as as possible in focus. Then you need the largest f-stop that you can have and still have enough light. Oh, okay. Which is a problem. So have I confused you completely at this point? 
I, I kind of understand a little bit. So what happens is at F11, you're going to have most of your model in focus. Like let's say it's a model of a 124th scale car. At F11, you'll get most of it in focus. Yeah. But the problem is that you may not have enough light if you're photographing indoors, for example. And so that's the point where you have to have either a really slow shutter speed, which means put your camera on a tripod or it's going to, you know, you're going to, it's going to shake and it's going to be blurry, or you have to add lights by using flashes, for example, or, or, you know, fixed lights. So bottom line is there's two ways to get more of your model in focus, smaller, uh, a, a larger F stop number and more light. So like you could go to F16 or F22 if you had enough enough light or a long enough exposure. Or you can use a smaller f-stop like f4, for example, and do what's called focus stacking in your editing software. And that gets into a whole can of worms that you probably oh, yeah. don't care about. The other thing you can do is if you've got a high, uh, like a F F11 and you've not got much light, um, and maybe you haven't got a flash, you can increase your um, what's called the ISO on there. It normally goes up in like 60. Uh, one, I think the Canon starts at 60, 100, 200, 350 for some reason. Uh, and it goes up like that. And it, by increasing that, you make the sensor more sensitive to light. Right. But the trade-off is um, noise, uh, you know, and artifacts and stuff like that, uh, you know, greebles in the picture. But generally, um, they're not too bad at them low numbers anyway. Um, you only really got to worry about them when, when you're blowing things up uh, sort of big, big size. I hope that helps, Josh. I'm, I'm, you know, there's a, there's a couple of different reasons why you you're getting one image in focus and one image not, and it may just be as simple as you're missing your focus point, uh, and all that explanation I gave you was not it doesn't even apply, but those are kind of the basics. See, I thought it needed to be down on like one, so I'll go the other way and see if that helps. But one, that, which like which setting are you putting on one? Like the focus like, setting, instead of going high, I went low. Okay. So I'll yeah. try that. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, it's not like you can really break it or screw it up. Just take more pictures. It's not like, you, you know, just keep messing with your settings. And, you know, it's not like you're going to run out of film. So just just keep poking at it and ask questions. That's one thing we do talk about a lot, maybe not a lot, but at least some in Scale Modeler's Critique Group. Um, you know, because we really believe that if you want good feedback, you need to have good pictures. And that doesn't mean people have to buy an expensive camera and, and you know, go take a class on photography because you can do it with a cell phone camera. It just means, you know, large pictures that are in focus and, and well lit. Um, but you can always ask about photography stuff in the group. And there's a bunch of professional photographers in there who will, you know, fall all over themselves to help you out. Yeah, that helped a lot. Thanks. 
Anything else, Josh? No, I'm good. Covered all the other ones. <laughs> uh, Josh had some questions he wanted to ask. You guys um, are you guys are taking it easy on me. I thought this was going to be like a light, you know, hot light interrogation or something. No, no, no. It's a pretty friendly atmosphere. Um, <laughs> and, and and Josh had got these questions lined up. Now I did say to Josh sometimes the the interview can go its own direction. And um, you, the questions you've got written out become void because it goes off somewhere completely different. And his questions were all about 3D and printing. And you went straight into that off the bat before we even got started. You did. I just went where you wanted to go. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. I, I think it's, um, yeah, so... John, do you have any questions for Will? <laughs> not that, not really. <laughs> it was about Godamall. Uh, Will, do you have any questions for us? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just here for you guys. You know, yeah. have, have we? I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to make myself available to cover whatever you guys want to. So I hope I've managed to do that. And yeah. Yeah, and, and more. So for, for people listening, if you want to see more of um, Will's channel, you can find him on YouTube. Uh, you just need to go to www.youtube.com forward slash user forward slash bar P photo. That's spelled B-A-R-P-F-O-T-O. Yeah, that's old over from my photography days. Yeah. Um, and if you want to join Scale Modelers Critique Group, it's www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Scale Modelers CG forward slash. And please, please answer, answer the questions if you, if you do a join request because if, if one of the questions is uh, – do you understand that this group is about scale modeling and what do you hope to gain from it? That's a two-part question. And if all you say is yes, you're going to get denied. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, I've got three questions listed up um, on entrance to our group. Um, nobody, ever, nobody ever answers them. Yeah, sorry, not getting in. That's yeah. We've started taking that approach. I've got to admit, with uh, yeah, look, I mean, there's there's plenty of Facebook groups, and and uh, you know, I I don't feel like there's we have to you know go out of our way or bend over backwards for people who don't understand what the purposes of the thing is. So that's the first filter, sort of. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh... Where do you see um, I mean, where do you see the hobby going at the moment? To me, I see. I mean, it's it's great. I I know there are people out there who say, "Oh, the hobby's dying." Yeah. I, I just I just don't get that. I you know I I can order cool stuff for my projects from all over the world on the internet using PayPal. I can create my own designs using using CAD software on my Mac. I can have them 3D printed. I, I, I mean, I, the possibilities to me are just so limitless that I don't, 
expect to ever get to everything I want to do in my lifetime of scale modeling. And I don't know how anybody can say that the hobby is dying. It's no, no. I mean, I mean, there's so many companies out there now creating models. There's so many new tools and paint. Look at the paints that are yeah. coming out. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. There's, there's, no, it's definitely not um, winding up or, uh, you know, in, in its end years, that, that absolutely not. Um, the one thing, you know, if I could give any advice to somebody starting now, the one thing I would say is go and look online first. Look at all your options because I, when I first come back to this about three years ago, I went straight into what I thought were the only kits available, Airfix, Humbrol Paints, um, and, and that was pretty much it. Um, because the last time I'd modelled, that was it. Um, and it wasn't until I went into Airfix, they'd got a sale on. Um, they were selling off these massive kits for next to nothing. It wasn't until about a year later I realized that those massive kits were all shit. Um, that's why they were being sold. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's just a huge array of paints and, and, and powders and concoctions. and It can get pretty overwhelming for sure. And I, can I add one thing to that, Mark? Yeah, sure. I just would encourage people to spend some time in these Facebook groups or whatever, you know, and, and just read and soak it up before you, you know, start spending a bunch of money because, you know, and, and, and pay attention. Like if somebody, if somebody pops up and says, Nope, don't use that. That's garbage. Ask why, you know, or if you're already using it, ask if, if you're missing something, because there's a lot of experienced people out there who, who can give you some valuable advice, but there's also a huge peanut gallery and you have to really try and weed through all the, all the bullshit yeah. way to put it. And, and that just takes some time and, and some energy. It's a, uh, it's a huge, huge hobby. And it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, you know, it's definitely not on its swan song. It's, um, and I, I don't know how anyone can can even think that. But then I don't know how anyone can think the world is flat. And there we go. <laughs> <laughs> wait, a wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, well it's not. Are we? <laughs> no, no. You I know you live in New Mexico. It probably just looks like way. Yeah, you should have told me you believe that up front. We could have cut this whole thing a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've, we've got a guy in Britain that actually, uh, not only does he believe the world is flat, but he drinks his own urine on a morning. Well, there you go. M-I. There you go. I mean, yeah. And he believes that it's, it's empowering him in some way. Um, it's giving him powers. Yeah, he's doing something to him, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, that's our interview concluded with Will. Thanks, Will, for coming on here and uh, sharing your life and uh, thoughts with us. Um, 
do go and sign up uh, for Scale Model Critique uh, and go and have a look at Will's channel. There's a lot of fantastic information on there. Um, you know, you wouldn't go far wrong if, if you've got a problem with something you're doing. Uh, I can pretty much guarantee that Will will have a solution somewhere on his videos. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, can you do a search on a on a on one person's channel on YouTube? Yeah, can you? I, don't, I don't know. It's it's hard. Uh, it's hard, and and part of the problem with my channel that that I think makes it not ideal for a lot of people honestly is is that i don't i don't script anything and i and i and i uh, i tend to uh, just talk about whatever is applicable to the subject at hand and so it's it's hard to find specific stuff sometimes i mean i you know there's there's some specific titles about specific techniques but like with my build reviews for example you know there's it's just whatever's in there that was relevant to the project. So, um, I, my, my channel is like really kind of ghetto. It's very underproduced. Uh, so you know, it, you got to sort it out if, if, if you're, if you're into it. I like it though. I like it like that. And I, I think you'll find there's a lot of people that do I'm like glad, it like that as well. That some people do. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for all the subscribers and all the, the people who get value out of it, uh, who, you know, who are cool with the way I do it. Yeah. Brilliant. So there we go. Um, I also wanted to say thank you, Will, for letting us post the podcast on your Facebook page. Oh, not at all, man. I, I'm look, I, you guys are, you guys are, are trying to make it happen, and I, I respect that. So I'm glad to, to help out. I'm flattered that you thought I was interesting enough to talk to, and I, I hope that you don't have a listener revolt. No, no. You, you were by far uh, – oh, I've got to be careful what I say because we've got other people to interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I listened to the interview with Gil, and he's way sexier and more interesting than I am. So Yeah, Gil was um, – just trying yeah. to up right now. Yeah, I, I I love Gil's work. I follow Gil as well. Um, and uh, yeah, you and Gil were at the top of my list uh, for people that I wanted to get on. Um, Gil's a good dude, and there's not a lot of people who who contribute as much to helping people out as as he does. No, no, and I've I've got one other person uh, that's coming on. Um, not one of the, there's a few other people coming on, but another person that contributes a lot to uh, the hobby. We've got David Sean, also known as Mr. Mini Dreams. He will be coming on uh, at some point in the future. Um, that man is tireless in what he does uh, for the hobby where around wherever he is constantly um promoting it doing builds for people um he's just an all-round great guy um but there you go that's that's another that's another time so yeah thanks to will um we sorry off on my like tablet <laughs> <laughs> I muted before, but forgot the tablet. 
Oops. So, uh, yeah, thanks to Will for popping on. And uh, I think that concludes our podcast for today. We'll be back as normal next week with, uh, I'm not sure what episode number we'll be on then. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Uh, but there'll be more questions and topics and uh, hot button topics, I guess, that will need to be asked and answered. And we hope you enjoy listening to it. And until then, it's uh, bye from me. Uh, bye from me. Bye. And we will see you all next week. Bye for now. <laughs>